0: Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I had the pleasure of talking with Erin Hendrick. I first met Erin at a conference and she was sharing about her career path to a pharmacy level C-suite. She was formerly the COO at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta. And I think you'll really enjoy getting to hear about her career path and how she has been able to utilize her skills and and move from, from different area to different area within the healthcare setting. I'm also really excited that we are growing our our audience base and we're reaching people all over the country and all over the world. We've got listeners in Singapore and Kenya and Canada, and some of the top listeners here in the U.S. are from Nashville, San Francisco, and Cleveland. Thanks again, everybody, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is the VP of Hospital Strategy at Shields Health Solutions, Erin Hendrick. Erin previously served as COO at Emory University Hospital Midtown. She is a board certified pharmacotherapy specialist and a fellow of ASHP. Erin completed her PharmD and Master's in Pharmacy Administration at The Ohio State University. Erin, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much, Hillary. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in some gaps from that intro and maybe share a little bit about your personal life. Sure.
1: So, um... As you mentioned, I went to The Ohio State University for my PharmD, and in that program, I got very involved in professional organizations, um, met a great deal of pharmacy leaders through my professional uh, organization involvement, and became exposed to the administrative pathway or the leadership pathway within pharmacy So thereafter, I uh, went to uh, residency at Ohio State and did the MS program, so one of the HSPA programs within the country, and completed my two years really with an emphasis on trying to be the best clinical leader that I could be. And so when I was in my residency program, my focus really was on maximizing my clinical skills to impact the greatest amount of patients. That being said, I um, also was married during my residency program to someone who was in medical school. And so my career path was one that um, had to be melded with another person who also had a career path going on. And so one of the early lessons I learned is you can plan all you want, but when you have two people who are trying to co-manage two careers, sometimes um, things don't uh, go in the exact way that you... uh, Planned out. And so I fully believe in strategic planning and really looking forward at what you want to do over the next five to 10 years. But I also fully believe in taking advantage of the opportunities that make sense for you and being okay with the fact that um, your career does need to fit into your life. So, as a part of that, after um, we finished residency, um, my husband matched in Colorado. So, we moved out to Colorado. Um, I started in a role as a clinical leader, which fit kind of my uh, my goal on my paper and quickly recognized that probably the culture and the organization uh, were the right fit for me. And that had been uh, told to me by others who had been in the role, but it fit my uh, criteria on paper. And so I ignored all the warnings because you know, I had a very type A personality, like most pharmacists out there, um, had written down what I thought I wanted to do. And this on paper fit that bill. And it also happened to be out where we were moving. Um, so despite kind of people warning me that maybe my personal goals and personality wouldn't be a good match for this, I went ahead and took the role. And so in that role, while it certainly was a great place to learn and get started, I uh, recognized that it, uh, people were right. I probably needed to make a change. And so thereafter, I had some friends who had joined um, McKesson and went over to McKesson, which allowed me to still live uh, in Colorado, but uh, travel. And it also, you know, transparently was a good financial win for my family since my husband was a very poor resident and we had no money. So it was a great idea um, for many reasons, although did kind of take my written down job path um, away from that original plan. While I was at McKesson, I had the opportunity to really get into consulting um, in the pharmacy space and particularly in the hospital pharmacy space Um, in that role learned one what it's like to work for a, a fortune 50 company uh and kind of the differences between hospitals and large organizations and the expectations the ability to change and also some of the structure and functions that are um aligned with that but also showed me how many different hospitals do how many different things specifically within pharmacy so as a profession it was uh, really interesting for me to see that, you know, we don't do, uh, things in a standardized fashion. Um, and I think that's okay. I still reconcile that in my head all the time, but I think that's okay, but it's fascinating because we have a lot of, um, I guess professional goals and professional statements, but the way that we implement is vastly different from place to place, which makes it both fascinating and also, you know, sometimes we make more work for ourselves. So in that role, I really learned one, how different hospitals function. And then two, my role as a consultant was to lead through influence and to get people who are both, you know, older by age and older by profession and also more senior by title to do things that benefited us all, but I didn't have direct line authority for them. And so in that role, I really had to learn how to make sure that I was aligning uh, the outcomes with what people's personal goals were and how to tell a story to make it appealing to whoever the listener was. Because I really needed people to do things, but I couldn't necessarily directly force them to do things. So I had to, you know, change my story quite a bit and kind of learn how to befriend and elevate everyone and make sure that all of our projects really did elevate the team who was going to be at the facility for a very long time. So work for McKesson for quite a bit. Um, and then I have a, a theory that your boss really is very important. And while I was at McKesson, my, one of my bosses left. And I realized that I, um, probably didn't want to be there without him being there. So I, um, moved over to HCA and I'd actually in, gotten involved with HCA. We had done a project out in Nashville. So, uh, knew of them and they were hiring for this new team that was doing performance improvement across the uh, corporation. And so it was somewhat similar to what I was doing within McKesson, but I was an internal consultant. So I was really looking at, um, process improvement within the departments of pharmacy across the country, and typically in the bigger facilities. And so we would come into facilities and we would address projects as a system. So looking at uh, net operating income as a system, and then I was responsible for pharmacy. And in that role did very similar things, but then got the opportunity to start working outside of pharmacy. So became involved with some respiratory therapy project, some um, surgical projects, some other projects that again, use like skills that we use in pharmacy, So clinical acumen, financial acumen, project management, but got to see what life was like outside of the traditional pharmacy world. Um, loved that job, loved my team. Um, but my husband graduated from residency, and we moved to Madison, Wisconsin. And I also had a baby at the same time. So those three things um made it very difficult to continue that job because I was on the road about 80% at that time, which wasn't going to work for our family um, at that time. And also flying out of Madison was very difficult, wasn't somewhere you could fly in and out of on the same day. So took a role at University of Wisconsin, uh, worked in both the drug information team and as a manager of clinical services, um, got the opportunity to see another HSPA program, which I like to consider myself unique in that I've been at Two of the programs who typically compete with each other uh, and got to learn all about kind of their operational excellence. Because while I at Ohio State, when I was in training, I really focused on that clinical leadership and clinical excellence. Wisconsin's very well known for their operational excellence and really took a ton away from that role. Um, became very involved in process mapping um, and making sure that we had accountability for multi-step solutions, and also trying to collaborate and make sure that we did have team-based um, decision making. Um, again, my husband graduated from fellowship and we ended up down in Atlanta. So in Atlanta, I started, used my network again to find a role, um, started in roles that were really traditional pharmacy roles and really picked up from where I was leave, uh, leaving at Wisconsin. So clinical leadership, um, and involvement, um, and kind of went through a natural progression within Emory Healthcare, and then had the opportunity um, to be involved with a large scale consulting project. And that project was great, one, because I'm very comfortable with those types of projects because um, I used to do them. So, you know, I understand that these are actually great levers to make yourself look really good, um, and that none of the ideas that consultants bring in are novel or things that you haven't thought of, but they open the window so that you can actually get them done. So during that project, I had the opportunity to do some I wouldn't call them innovative because many other organizations around the country were doing them, but things that Emory had not yet done, including uh, really looking at our 340B program and making sure that um, we were using it to our best ability to help the patients that we needed to help given how many indigent patients that we have. And also look at specialty pharmacy. We have... great deal of tertiary complex care at Emory Healthcare, and we weren't really involved in the specialty pharmacy realm. And so those two initiatives um, allowed us to, one, financially get a boom. Uh, We uh, were able to fund residency program expansion. We were able to fund a number of other programs, able to hire great clinical specialists who were doing ambulatory care, which is something that we all wanted to do, but didn't have a funding mechanism. And it really propelled pharmacy in the organization to something that had never been. And it also gave me the opportunity to consider applying for a newly opened COO role. Something that I probably, you know, didn't necessarily always think that I wanted, um just because I had never really considered it, but recognized that the skill set that we use in pharmacy is very applicable to many of the roles within the health system. So applied for that role, went through a rather arduous uh, interview process and became COO at Midtown. And in that role, I was responsible for about 1500 employees. Um All of the clinical ancillary services, outpatient departments, and um, kind of the house. So food nutrition, security facilities, those types of things. Um, It was a great uh, opportunity where I worked on all sorts of projects, had the opportunity to collaborate with Georgia Tech, do really cool things, and move the hospital and health system forward. Um, That said, in the meantime, I also had uh, two other children. So I had three children at the time um, and still have a husband who fully is engaged in his own career. And so um, busy was an understatement. I uh, would spend my morning driving to work. I didn't live that far um, from work. But every morning, what I would do was calculate how many minutes in the day I actually needed to get what I wanted to get done done. Um, and my average was 26.25 hours. So I really, you know, there was no way in any given day that I could get what I wanted to get done. Um, and I actually needed two and a half more hours to get that done. Um, and so it was, it was wonderful. Uh, I was on 24 seven, um, and never really Personally present within my personal life, so I was there. I was making it work, but wasn't necessarily fully mentally there at any time. And also, our our chaos and crisis at all times about time and like who was going to pick up people and children and how we were going to get places was boiling over to everyone. So we were always on edge a little bit. So made the move over to Shields in November of 2017. So I've been there for about five months. And in my current role, I do a lot of the things that I've learned over my career. So Shield Solutions partners with health systems to accelerate the growth of their specialty pharmacy and related pharmacy businesses. And so that fits with a lot of the things I've done historically. Um, growing, changing, making pharmacy very present in terms of the health system strategy, uh, blending that clinical and financial and business acumen together to make sure that we have sound plans with sound growth um, that we can all work towards. And also acknowledging that Health systems are different. So one health system and the way we do things at one thing is not the way that it will happen in another, but you can have standardized processes and the standardized outcomes without compromising that local culture and those local traditions. So doing that, so I work with our sales team on prospective customers. So really look at their pharmacy and hospital environments, kind of work on how to engage our health system and pharmacy leaders and the concept of partnering, work on clinical assessments, um, help to kind of set the stage for how we might implement um, the product Work on best practices and standards of care, and then uh, collaborate and make sure that we're actively engaging in professional organizations and contributing to the literature. So while I definitely work with Shields Health Solutions customers, I actually work a lot with other leaders in the field of specialty pharmacy and making sure that we, as a you know profession, are collaborating and working together to get knowledge out. Because Shields Health Solutions and myself fully believe. That health systems or hospitals are best set to take care of patients um, in terms of a true integrated delivery network that includes medication use. So we we want to make sure that that fractionated healthcare um, environment does not negatively impact patient care.
0: Wow, I am so impressed, Erin. Uh, my goodness, there's a lot of things uh, that I was kind of picking up on uh, while you were talking. So. Um, One kind of being culture, uh, how important culture is uh, in where you are and your your working uh, working professional space uh, that you're able to lead by influence, uh, and that how important it is to really find a fit for where you are in life. So. I think it's great that you were able to kind of uh, use those skills that you've gained all along the way from, uh, you know, being a clinical pharmacy specialist and uh, doing some work with, with McKesson and, and other large organizations, HCA, uh, and now are using that all um, as uh, your role as a consultant with Shields Health Solutions. Uh, I think it's great that that pharmacists are using skills and uh, their skill sets that they've developed as a pharmacist to, to move into roles such as COO or uh, provost and, you know, the the world of academia and different things like that. So really exciting. Uh, and then the importance of building networks and and relationships. So uh, you mentioned that as well, how important it was no matter where you were kind of moving and then even kind of as you're, you know, Taking a new position, you're always kind of consulting with mentors, and sometimes they'll give advice that maybe we do need to take, but I think that you still learned something uh, from having the experience in Colorado. And so now you're definitely more thoughtful and kind of what looks good on paper versus uh, what's a good fit fit for you. Uh, So really exciting. And and you've been a leader in the pharmacy industry for a number of years. And thanks for walking us through that career path. So I know it's a new position as uh, the VP of hospital strategy. How are what Kind of things will you be doing in this current role?
1: So, um, one of my primary roles is really to engage the health systems with which we're working or who we in hope to work with and make sure that they understand that our goal is fully aligned with their goal. So, to really show that we are not successful unless they are successful and that partnering is not a bad thing for pharmacists. So, pharmacists and myself included are usually extraordinarily capable people and very resourceful. And so therefore, they're pretty autonomous. Mm-hmm. They don't take help very well, because usually they can do it themselves. And, and you know, they, they're usually mostly successful. And so one of the things I'm trying to work on and was a great lesson for myself was, you are right, you can do all of these things. And Pharmacists are unique and they have that skill set of really being able to be resourceful, learn quickly and make changes. But there are times where you won't get to as good as you want to or better because you simply don't have the bandwidth. So a lot of my time is spent working with health system leaders and pharmacy leaders on the benefits of partnering, and how best to partner. So again, we never want to be duplicative, but we want to augment. So how can we work within the strategic plan that health systems have developed to really support what they want to get done and make sure that we're addressing the entire breadth of what they're getting done? So I do a lot of that. And then again, my other role is really working with leaders in the field, specifically health system leaders in the field of specialty pharmacy to make sure that we are talking, engaging, educating the public, educating others, um, and getting information out about best practices. Because we all benefit from others' learning. Um, and to the comments about network earlier, I fully engage my network all the time. They probably get sick of it, but I, I believe that it's much better to take what other people have struggled with and try to make it better. And hopefully people take from me things that I struggled with and then they get better. And then as a
0: profession and also as a population, we all, yeah, no, that's really helpful to explain how that kind of works. And so you're working with not only just pharmacy leaders, you're working with physicians, nurses, any, t- any, you know, any types of administration in this role uh, for developing a hospital strategy. So how are, how, what are some ways that you stay current with what's going on in healthcare in general? So
1: I am a huge uh, reader. Um, I am subscribed to almost every listserv in America. And I'm ashamed to admit that although I work in the very type A field, And most of my colleagues cannot stand that bubble, the red bubble on their phone Um, that I currently have like 35,000 unread emails in my inbox, which is after deleting all the spam. But I use that because I, I skim and I look for keywords. I also use LinkedIn and Twitter quite a bit, mostly because of the pushes that come out from various health organizations and key thought leaders in the field. And so that is my quick and dirty way of staying up to date by just really trying to take in as much information and make sure that I'm always looking. The other way, again, is really working with professional organizations and leveraging my network to make sure that as they're learning, I'm learning. And so I leverage that a lot, but reading um, and also subscribing to things that are outside of just traditional pharmacy world, um, I think is a great way to go and finding some of the, uh, what I call healthcare futurists, out there that you can subscribe to either their podcasts or their LinkedIn blogs um, is also a really helpful way because they'll often Uh
0: that reassures me that I'm I'm someone on the right track and trying to use all different forms of social media, whether that be uh podcasts, Twitter, uh LinkedIn as you mentioned, um, and then just kind of really trying to look outside of just pharmacy because we really need to know um, not only, you know, APHA produces a really great daily briefing that I I also will skim and kind of pick up on key things that are of interest and pertinent to my area of, of practice, but also looking at, you know, Becker's review, what are some of the headlines and things that are going on? What are some, I also get uh, the advisory board company's daily briefing, which is also really great. There are many, many others, and I'm sure you've, you've got s- some great resources there. So speaking of LinkedIn, I just saw a recent article that, that you were referring to on LinkedIn that, that you'd written about um, three leading health, Uh, organizations, UNC Healthcare, the Ohio State University, Wexner Medical Center, and uh, your organization Shields Health Solutions um, are addressing challenge and improving overall the cost curve by assisting with medication assistance resources. Can you give us a a synopsis of what's happening with medication assistance uh, within these organizations?
1: Sure. So, um, as you personally are very familiar with, um, you know, the financial toxicity associated with out of pocket costs for patients, um, is growing and it is, it does have, uh, documented both physical and mental adverse effects on patients. And some of the research shows us that although many more uh, therapies are being moved to the oral or self-administered space, which is the right thing to do because it's less expensive, it's better for the patient, it really should improve adherence. For whatever reason, when a patient is presented with an entire care plan um, and they have a financial uh, crisis of sorts, The out-of-pocket costs of medication, so specifically those take-home medications, are the first piece of the plan to go. And that hurts us all because as a population, we're trying to make sure that people are getting better. As health systems take on more risk, we really need to make sure that people are following the plan as intended. And so what we aim to do was to show best practices out in the field because... Traditionally, the costs associated with take-home medications really aren't the problem of the health system. So it, it doesn't come back to the health system. The health system hasn't put out the cost of that. And so it's never been something that health systems have really, really been super focused on. We saw more involvement with the infusion space, but the take-home medication space wasn't something that was a very hot topic for many years. And one of the things that we aim to do was really highlight some of the programs that have gone beyond that barrier of how time intensive and how, you know, expensive yet unfunded this work can be to show how it can actually impact patient care and more importantly, impact outcomes for the health system financially, albeit a bit separate or you know, downstream as you follow them. So we uh, met with Ohio State UNC and then the program that we run at Shield with our partner hospitals. So Ohio State has had one of the longest standing programs out there and really was uh, uh, has been a leader in the field and highly encourage anyone out there to talk to Sarah Hudson DeSalle about the program. She's been with it since almost the inception and have, has had tremendous growth. So learn from them. And they're greatest skill that I took away was the metrics that they use. And really that they have developed a great countermeasure for success by how much charity care the organization is using. So if you were running a successful financial or medication assistance program, you should be able to show decreases in the amount of charity care that you're using for outpatient medication. So they should start to balance off, which really is a lift to the health system. UNC equally has a great program, one that they learned from Ohio State in starting that program. And they've really grown their program significantly with their outpatient uh, growth in terms of their outpatient clinical pharmacists. And so they have shown that patients have better adherence overall when that trifecta of financial assistance and the clinical pharmacist are involved within the clinical outpatient care. Um, So they have shown documented outcomes that adherence and cure or disease uh, prevention of disease progression gets better when you've got those resources available to the patient. At Shields, we focus on making sure that that out-of-pocket cost is as low as possible. And so what we do within our partner health systems is any patient who has an expected copay of greater than $5.00. For a branded drug. So, unfortunately, with generics, it's very hard to get financial assistance outside of charity care. But for branded drugs, we are running a full financial assistance independent of whether or not they ask for it. And then we present them with the options. So, we have the conversation with them after we know what's available for them. To really make sure that people understand that there are, there is help out there available, and you know, there's been a lot of talk in the media about some of the challenges with some of the foundations that are out there in terms of how they're funded and potentially some conflicts of interest with some of the foundations. But what we focus on is separating that prescribing uh, from you know our financial assistance resources and really focusing on the patient. So if a patient is prescribed something, we take it as this is the best thing for the patient. And we go from there and look at the resources available. And we're very proud that Shields that within the specialty medication space, we've um, been able to keep our average copay less than $9 across all of our partner organizations, which is pretty phenomenal, especially as you look at some of the um, Medicare Advantage programs out there and the, uh, I guess, lack of transparency with some of the prescription benefits out there. So um, we're very proud of it, but there are definitely some leaders
0: in the field and also, again, some other great programs that are out there yeah, that you are very familiar to hear with. Uh, some leaders who are really trying to tackle some, you know, medication assistance needs because uh, specialty pharmacy, in particular, as you know most you and and most others know, uh, are really accounting for the majority of the healthcare cost. So, you know, the generics and some of these other medications are still uh, the primary drugs being prescribed, but those specialty high cost drugs are really making up the majority of the pay. And when you have Patients who can't afford their medicines or, or their different challenges—it's really helpful that these health systems are, are developing strategies to um, help with that. And and just like you mentioned uh, at Dispensary of Hope, where I'm working, we work very closely with organizations to. Help patient or help, uh, yeah, help patients get access to medications uh, when they are in need. And uh, exact kind of same strategy. We're helping to really lower um, their charity care dollars by investing in a dispensary of hope. They're able to order uh, as much medicine as they need out of our inventory. For those eligible patients who are uninsured. So um, it's great seeing systems who are really kind of taking on a specific department, such as, you know, medication assistance departments. And we're seeing those kind of pop up. Um, all over the country. Uh, Intermountain Health has, has one kind of focused on that. And they, they all work very closely with the health systems financial aid departments as well. So um, really exciting to kind of see that growing across the country. I'm glad that you were able to share a little bit more about your work with um, SHIELDS. So Erin, what are you most excited about in the future of pharmacy?
1: So, you know, I think that pharmacy has never been so exciting as right now. Um, The trajectory of change has been extremely steep within pharmacy in the last five years. And I think uh, the, the greatest thing or the most exciting thing that I see is that we are much more of a conversation about care and health of the patient than we ever were before. Frequently, we are viewed as a cost center independent of where you worked. Uh, You were really a cost center and an essential service, but not necessarily kind of one of those key highlighting health system priorities. And in the last five years, we have definitely risen to being on the priority list for health systems. You know, in my role, I get to interact with everyone within a health system. And it is flatly uh, impressive and amazing to me that now Uh, Almost every CEO or executive um, within a health system understands pharmacy, specifically specialty pharmacy, but they understand pharmacy and the importance of the role. And also, they understand the dynamics out there in terms of fractionation of the marketplace. So pharmacy has gotten um, a reputation, and we really need to leverage that as pharmacists to make sure that we're staying on top of it and we're doing the right thing for the patient and continuing to grow. So that's what I find most exciting is we are really up and coming. The other thing that's exciting is just the sheer number of interesting roles and positions that are out there for pharmacists. Um, You know, again, there were traditionally two pathways when I was in pharmacy school. You could do retail or you could do uh, hospital. And we really didn't talk about much, you know, a little bit of consulting, but mostly in the long-term care space. And now when you look out there, people are doing all sorts of very interesting things. And so I think that's also extremely exciting. And I would encourage people to really take a look and try to find mentors who are doing non-traditional roles, just so you can learn about them and keep your
0: finger on the pulse. Exactly because right, Erin. Yeah, I love in that in the, future. Uh, the, the future is really bright for pharmacy. And uh, we are seeing more and more. Pharmacists move into C-suite positions like chief pharmacy officer roles as uh, these health systems are realizing how valuable uh, pharmacy services are uh, to the organization. So uh, really great to kind of hear uh, your perspective about the future of pharmacy. And as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career?
1: Um, you know, so this is a, uh, there's a whole lot of things I would tell my younger self. Um, but one of them is really about that life balance. And I think, um, you know, there's probably an overuse quote from Randy Zuckerberg about the three things you can pick in life, friendship, building a great company or career, spending time (laughs) with family, getting fit or getting sleep. And it actually is pretty true. So you really, you can do a lot and you can, uh, really be successful in a few things, but you probably can't be successful in everything that you want to do because there's simply only 24 hours a day. And so I think that constantly reminding yourself of that and trying to rebalance um, and those that balance will change. Um, One of my favorite memories to laugh about is that in pharmacy school we had a presentation about career pathways. And it was actually data driven. um, And it showed that females had a M-shaped career path. So after pharmacy school, they would go way up and they'd be highly engaged. And then they'd have children and they'd go way down and be at the nader of the M. And then they'd go back up after their children were out of the house. And I was so offended by this, even though it was just, it was data. It wasn't someone's opinion. It was data, but I found it incredibly offensive. And, but what I realized is, so it's not really an M, but it's a constant, um, almost like a sound wave, where you just really have to move and ebb and flow with what your priorities and what your changes are at any given time. And those things change. And so just being flexible and being okay with that, you know what, um, this may be working now, it might not be working in the future, and that's okay. Um, And the other thing with that is also like, uh, don't take what others view as an ideal career path for you so seriously, or what you thought your ideal career path career path would be because the world is changing so quickly and your personal life will change so quickly that taking advantage of opportunities is a really great thing. And now in this world with pharmacy, um, being kind of at the table at all times, there are a lot of opportunities. So take advantage of those, um, and meld it into that kind of sound wave of life where, you know, you're kind of balancing and trying to figure out what you are going to, those three things that you're going to focus on at Aaron, any given time and take advantage of those opportunities. Thank you
0: for- from someone who is still kind of getting started in their career and has not yet begun the, the kind of family, it's helpful to hear from from other uh, women who have been really successful in their careers and kind of hearing how to make that balance work with with everything that you know. I, type A personalities are wanting to do. So thanks so much for sharing that advice and and your story. And it was such a pleasure to have you on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. I apologize for the overlap in the audio. Uh, Hopefully that will not continue. But thanks so much for listening. And be sure to check out www.pharmacyadvisory.com for the show notes to hear more from Erin. And also we have a recommended readings tab on there. So I've added a few of my favorite readings and be sure to let me know what some of yours are. So message me, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Also, I'm on Twitter at Hill Blackburn. And just as a reminder, we do have some exciting things happening over at www.npr.center as some of the natural products are becoming more available. So be sure to check that out as well. Thanks and stay tuned for the next episode for our new guest.